So how do you say your name? Alotion? Exactly. Perfectly. Alotion. <laughs> no one's ever got it on the first try before, so that's awesome. No, it's reading. <laughs> Actually, we can start at that one point. And that is, is that much of what the Dhamma is, is to take the awesome out of everything and let everything be just real. Okay. That awesome is what people want, what they try to make things into, what they try to keep up with. Awesome is dukkha. So, that's the first step then. And, and in fact, in one of the suttas, the Buddha says uh, that he teaches both formally and now only one thing. And that is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. That's all he teaches. And so that's all I could possibly teach. Everything fits into those three words. But what we will do over the course of time is unpack those three words. So that we thoroughly understand. But right from the get-go, we can see then that Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda does not mean the way that most Westerners have, and that is dukkha, dukkha, let's take a look at dukkha, let's inspect it, let's find out what it is, oh, dukkha, oh, I'm so frustrated with dukkha, 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 and they don't ever get around to dukkha naroda. And yet it's not stated that way. It's not dukkha, 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 and someday naroda. It's dukkha, dukkha naroda. So Dukkha Narosa is the end of suffering, yes? Right now. Not way off into the future, but right now. Okay. Okay. I can... Dukkha means that you have to be able to see it. Yes. In other words, you have to recognize it, and if you recognize it correctly, like um, imagine that you just were handed a hot rock or a hot potato. How long are you going to hold that hot rock in your hand, letting it burn? Not at all. I, I would recognize the heat immediately. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't take long to figure out that the rock is hot. Yes. But some things are more difficult. Some things are more difficult to find, figure out that they are dukkha. But once we do figure out that that's dukkha, once we do a correct investigation to see that it is dukkha, then we want to immediately drop it like a hot rock. That does not mean that we have to go immediately over to the kill, Destroy the kill, bust up the fire, and throw all the rocks in further directions so that you never get another hot rock. That's not what we're talking about. No, when we recognize this rock in my hand right now is hot, I drop it. Understood. 
Okay. So, Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda, is in fact the entire teachings of the Buddha, to be able to see Dukkha and to drop it immediately. There is not much else to it, in fact, but there are some details that may help one to be able to do that. Okay? An example would be when you begin to see that the, all the beliefs, concepts, and things like that that you hold are, in fact, dukkha, then you will stop eating them. So, sorry, so this is, this is the point that I got to probably about two years ago, in which it really destabilized me. Looking closely at each of my thoughts and my beliefs and my concepts, and I saw that each of my beliefs, whatever belief they were, they seemed to be formed by, by other beliefs and other opinions and other concepts that I, I have gathered throughout my wow, life. Wow, exactly. What a mess. What a big pile. What a thicket of views. Yeah, so it's just, just knotting self-referential beliefs that refer to other beliefs. Just a massive knot of confusion. And when I tried to look at that, I, I saw that Holding on to any belief, holding on to any any concept caused a certain amount of identification with that and therefore caused me to want to protect that, which led to resistance, which led to suffering. Uh, however, my biggest issue since then is the habitual nature of the mind and the body. It's exactly what you said. In fact, in my analogy, I said the same thing. I said, imagine being able to hold a hot pan uh, or holding a hot pan that you have your entire life but not knowing that it's hot and then realizing that that's the thing that's burning you, but mm -hmm. still not being able to put it down. Just due out of habit, you just keep on picking it up again. That's what I'm struggling with. I see what's causing there, there, No, wait a minute. There is a huge difference between holding on to it and the other part that you mentioned, putting it down and then picking it up again, because that's reality. Part of the delusion is, is that we hold it all the time. Yes, when I'm asleep at night, I do not hold those things. No. That's true. And not only that, when you're thinking about um, the Dhamma, then you're not holding on to that stuff. When you're thinking about the breath or watching the breath, you're not holding any of that stuff. But a second later, you can be holding it. And then the delusion comes that it's been there all along, when in fact it hasn't. I understand. Can I, <laughs> can I spend uh, 60 seconds or so simply telling you about the last two to three days? Um, well, it's not even about the last two to three days. It's, it's about what's happened to me mentally. Would that be okay? Okay. Um, so what's been happening is that I went into this investigation, which I completely understand that you might say, which you say is unwholesome at this point, because my mind not, might not be ready for it. But I went into this investigation of who I am, of who, who am I? And before even getting down to that path, I realized a, a thing that basically changed a lot of my perception uh, and the way I think. And it was the realization that these thoughts that appeared in my mind had absolutely nothing to do with me. Whoever I was, whoever I am, 
these dots that appear. Well, that's a pretty good idea. Uh, that's a, a, a good, let's call it an insight. Because your average Joe Blow actually attaches to the thoughts he has, and you probably did at one time. Now you're waking up to the fact that, hey, these thoughts are just thoughts. They're not me. They're not mine, and I don't need to cling to them. Yes, um, and... Um, and they're not there all the time. Yes, exactly. That's the thing. And it's and I am still the average Joe Blow because I still attach to my thoughts a lot of the time. But I'm cognizant when I do. Now, this is the amazing thing. This is what happens. A thought will arise. Now, instead of getting caught in the story and then generating another thought, another belief, and then emotions, the thought arises. I simply see it to not be me. And then it, I lose all interest in its content. I'm not sure why. It just kind of evaporates. Now, my biggest issue in life was overthinking. I thought all the time. But we actually must... are going to count on that. That thoughts evaporate. That's what's been happening in the past few days. So what I realized... It's been that... happening your whole life and you haven't noticed it. That's true. That's extremely Thoughts evaporate. True. That's exactly what happens. They blow, they, they poof, they go away. They melt into the air. There's no air to melt into. They're just yes. gone. Yes, and then I, I realized that my issue is not, not just the content, uh, sorry, not just the multitude of thoughts, but the identification with them. When I stopped identifying with them, they kind of had much less value. Right, okay, but that does not necessarily lead to more thoughts of, well, then who am I? So that happened to me a year ago. But even that was seen to be a thought. So now, sitting here right now, um, if I am able to rest in, how do I say it? In the knowing that I'm not those thoughts. In the knowledge that whatever is arising, it is not me. In okay, doing... let's go one more step then if we're going to jump into this part of the Dhamma. Okay. And that is, is that not only are you not those thoughts, you're also not the feelings. You're also not the body. You're also not your memory systems. Yes. You are not your uh, your concept of uh, consciousness. Yes. And you are not the machine that does all of the processing of this that we call perception. You are not any of those things. But the worst part of it is, is that that means that you do not know who you are. That's a that's okay. Okay. Because that's where you're going to have to leave it. You that's don't fine. know who you are. But the easiest way that we can understand that is, is that each one of us, ourselves, is a moving target. Yes, I saw that. I saw I saw I move. As soon as I looked for I, I saw it moving. And it started self it started referring to itself. And then moving, 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 moving. It, it's constantly moving. And I'm, I'm like, who are you? Not only is it moving, but whatever it is, is also changing and modifying. Let us say it like this, that you could have a long list of attributes that somebody gave you an exam or something. And on a piece of paper, your uh, job was, or uh, not one piece, but maybe 10 pages of write down everything about you define who you are and now you have to take that same test the next year I, I, think it would, it would it, be blank 
it would literally be nothing. <laughs> okay. So this is the point, though, that when you do put something down, it somehow changes so that you don't know who you are. And in fact, that's true with everybody. That's one of the reasons why we attach to things and identify with ourselves or identify ourselves with concepts, beliefs, opinions. That's how we define who we are. Listen to people when they tell you, ask them the question, who are you? I'm a doctor, I'm an engineer, I'm a teacher, I'm a this, I'm a that, and as far as profession goes, or they'll describe themselves as um, a citizen of the country that they live in, or talk about the location that they're in, or they may tell you about their family relationships and who they came from. But none of those things actually define who an individual is. But they don't have a way of defining who they are. That is until you understand the teachings of the Buddha in the sense of Paticca Samuppada, because there is where we figure out how this self is recreated, because like that hot rock, it's not constant. It comes up and it goes away and it comes up again later, and it goes away later, and it's temporary just like everything else is. But doesn't something need to be a substrate underneath that, that change, for change to occur? Um, yes, just like uh, the, for you, the substrate is the earth itself. The but floor, the, earth the foundation. Well. Huh? The earth changes too. Everything that yes, you, uh, and every, I was about to go, but the Earth's substrate is the sun. But the, but it, everything, every form... And then the sun is just going all throughout space, and it has no substrate except maybe the galaxy. That the galaxy, and, and that has the supercluster, and then that has the local supercluster. And then, okay, all right, so where is then the substrate? Well, this is the thing. So any form you can, any physical form you can point to will be something that changes. It cannot be, the substrate cannot be found in any form of ours, in thought. In Congratulations, you're moving right along. There is no substrate to be found. But you just complained to me a moment ago about, well, what about the substrate? <laughs> and so I answer you back. So who needs a substrate? Okay, they're, they're, uh, yes, and then that's going to point back to who am I. That's a very dangerous game to play. <laughs> yeah, so who needs a substrate? So let's get back now to Duca Duca Naroda, which is okay. where we were. That's where we left off of this. Okay. Duca Naroda is unpacked immediately into the Four Noble Truths. You can see that easily. Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda, Dukkha packs down to, unpacks into, this is Dukkha, and this is the cause of Dukkha, and then Dukkha Naroda is, this is what it is to be free from suffering, and this is the path to keep getting there. Okay. All right. So that's the whole teachings of the Buddha. I can pack up my bag and go home now. That, that's pretty much it, yes. That's it. That's not pretty much. That's the whole show. That's the whole ball of wax. It's, it's however, a bit discerning suffering. Yeah. However, when we start to unpack both the second and the fourth noble truth, 
then we can get a little more detail. Because in fact, basically what Dukkha Dukkha Naroda is, is basically the first noble truth and the, sec- and the third noble truth. You're in it, you're out of it. But the way to get out of it, that's what we have to look at. And part of the way that we get out of it is by understanding its nature. So that's where both the second and the fourth noble truth comes in. Okay. And when we okay, so we will in fact deeply unpack the second noble truth. It's by far the more complex, and it's something that we'll leave for later. But for the beginning, we always start with uh, the basics of the eightfold noble path, and the basics of the eightfold noble path. I can give it to you this way. We start with right view. It eventually becomes right noble view. But let's start with just right view in the beginning. And you had some right view or you wouldn't have called me. You've already been doing a whole lot of right view. With right view comes right sati. Right sati has the quality of to remember, to keep remembering. If you can remember to do something, you can do it. Let us say if you have the skill to do it and you remember to do it, then you can do it. You can have the skill to do it, but if you don't remember to do it, you won't do it. Can I quickly interject and ask one thing on that second point? Okay. I feel that this thing I've been speaking about the last few days in which a thought arises in my mind and I remember that it's not me and then it drops away. This this seeing of the start and the dropping away has taken away probably 80% of my mental anguish. Simply seeing it and causing it to drop away does that. So what I'm attempting to do prior to even speaking to you is simply remembering. Remembering when a thought comes up to not simply get caught up in the story, but that it's just a form. And in that Well, remember- that's about half of right effort, Dan. Okay, so you kind of understand what we mean by sati. Okay. For many students, they don't understand, and so I can use words like wakey-wakey to wake up, to look at what you're thinking, to understand what it is that's going on, but that requires then two things. One is to wake up. You've heard the expression to wake up and smell the coffee? Yes. You've probably heard that. Okay. Sati is to wake up. The smelling of the coffee, because it may not be coffee. It may be my own pile of crap. (laughs) Okay, so that smelling means to go into our senses and to use those for an investigation, to investigate. This is one's right view. Right, Right view and right sati work together so that you can see dukkha especially if you have a knowledge base so you know what to look for. Okay. So right from the beginning, we know a bit about dukkha. So right from the beginning, we can do something. Okay? Yeah. So an, an example would be that uh, when a student goes to a meditation retreat or something and their instructions would be to watch the breath, then when they wake up to recognize that the mind has wandered away and is not watching the breath, that's what we mean okay so what we then do is to come back to the breath never mind start again is what Gawenka says never mind start again which means to wake up to see that you're off the breath and to come back to it yeah all right 
we're going to expand that quite a bit, but we do want to start with the breathing. Yeah. Now, with Anapanasati, we do a big breath. It's a long, deep breath, not a, just a shallow breath or the ordinary breath or the breath that we were taking before we woke up. That, in fact, much of the workout process is going to be wake up to take a really big, deep breath. Okay. All right. That there is a bit of uh, pranayana in this anapana. Yeah. In fact, that's the same word. This is pranayana yoga. Okay. And it's going to take some effort to have these long, deep breaths. But if we leave the breathing at its ordinary and say, oh, I'm watching the breath, really, the mind will quickly wander away because there's no real attachment. But if we're practicing correctly, every in-breath, then a long in-breath takes a bit of sati to know that you're taking a long, deep in-breath. And to know that you're taking a long out-breath takes another point of sati. That's what you said, the Buddha said as well, which I didn't quite understand when he said that. He said, when you breathe in, you're short, you know you are breathing in short. When you breathe in long, you know you're... I don't, don't understand what value knowing those things have. Because the knowing of it is focusing the mind. That's sati. You have to know that this is a long breath. Otherwise, it'll change on its own and your mind will wander away. See, this is... So this is the point, I guess this is the point in which um, I've, there kind of seems to be a fork in the road. So one of the things when I started meditating... It's not a fork, it's a dinner plate. And on this dinner plate, we're going to pile a whole bunch of stuff. Okay, that, that's fine. Okay. Well, when, I, when I'm meditating, I focus on uh, the breath, but... I let the breath do its thing. It's merely an observation. I'm not getting involved with the breath in any way. Yes, you're going to now. If you're going to practice correctly, you're going to get really deeply involved with it. Ah, okay. That's a complete... Okay, right. Just to let you know, I've never now. done that, so that this will be a completely new thing for me. Yes, you, ha you have to do the deep breathing. You okay. have to know that this is an in-breath and that this is an out-breath, and it has physiological advantages. Yes, you said that in the last video, yeah. Oxygen okay. and blood flow and stuff, yeah. Exactly. There is a lot of reasons why we want to have a long, deep breath, but there's also a lot of reasons why we don't, in general, breathe well. And that is, is because we're guided more by instinct than, the, than we are wisdom. Okay. Okay, and the instinctual breath would be conservative to take as little in and work as little as possible. Yeah. Okay, even though it's not healthy. Okay. So you say I now need so not now in my meditation practice I am to willingly breathe in. Every breath, to know every breath is a long deep in breath, and every breath is a long deep out breath. And that you're going to do that every time you remember to take a deep breath. Because your mind's going to wander away for sure. But when you come back to it, and in fact, this is one's right effort. Okay. Uh, but there's I, well, another, all right, good. There is another right effort. That in okay. fact, uh, right effort comes in two forms. One is by taking the new um, effort to breathe deeply. 
that after a long practice of, of uh, months or years, whenever sati arises, immediately a long deep breath will come with it. They come conjoined, they come together. In the beginning, you have to remember and then take the effort to start breathing well. Yeah. But later, after it becomes a real habit and you have the right amount of effort, that when sati comes, the breathing starts immediately with it. Okay. There, there is another point about right effort. And this is uh, in the Anapanasati Sutta, step number 10 of gladdening the mind. Now, this is a concept that many people miss out on, but the Buddha was really big on it. And then, in fact, you can see uh, the, the remnants of that spread all around the suttas in the sense of sukha, pleasant, joyful, metta, all of that stuff is around uh, getting the mind in a bright state, not a dull state, to brighten the mind by gladdening the mind. How do we do this? Pardon? How, how would we brighten the mind? I think I need a lot of uh, brightness. It's just been dark for the past three years. Well, the Buddha gave an example. And the example that was given is actually well known about the time when he was actually under the bow tree figuring this out. That yeah. in fact, this is the key ingredient for Paticca Samuppada. And the statement that he made was, Aha, I see you, Mara. Now what that meant was is that he could see that the mind had an unwholesome thought. But it was not his thought it was just Mara. Yes. Okay, we also do that with feelings. That when anxiety comes, the student needs to learn to say, Aha, I see you, anxiety. Aha, I see you, Mara. Now, while doing that, we immediately separate. Because most people, when they have a thought, they think they are the thought. Yes. Now we're beginning to recognize that, in fact, you can think of it this way. That... Um, this is me and this is my thought or feeling like anger or whatever. And it's got me. All right. But then we wake up and the wake up is, aha, I see, I see you. So this is how we do it. This is the gladdening of the mind is, aha, I see you. As opposed to, oh, no, there it is again. Because that's not gladdening the mind. And in fact, that's just more hindrance. Okay. So we immediately brighten the mind and take a deep breath. And, and some of the things that we can say is, well, I'm glad I don't have to think about that anymore. Oh, well, you know, I can wait until tomorrow to do that. I don't have to think about it now. And let your moment become joyful and empty, empty of things that need to be done. Because really, in this present moment, you don't need to do anything. No. That, that's the other thing I was finding by dropping thoughts, that, that thought, all that thought was doing was taking me either into the future or the past. It was taking me away from the only thing that actually exists right now, which is, is extremely sad. And gave you work to do. Yeah. You it, go I, to the past to get your work detailed, and then you take it off into the future to do it. Yeah. And all and, of that happens in the mind. And the work itself is purely created by the mind itself. 
So this is, I'm just giving myself stuff. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's insane. No, it's not ridiculous and it's not insane, but it is the habit of the mind. Yeah, it's habitual. It's extreme. It's completely habitual. Mm-hmm. I need to develop new habits. But it's not insane. In fact, most of your doctors, you go to them and talk about it and they'll say, oh, no, you're talking about ordinary stuff. But if you try this Anapanasati and Buddha stuff, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get what you mean. I, I get what you mean. It's very interesting looking at the, the different sides of Eastern and Western um, philosophy and spirituality and see see how things are looked at completely differently from, from each side. Well, that is, in fact, one's right view. One's right view is not a fixed viewpoint. But it's the ability to move your point of view around so that you can see things from very many different angles. If you had a fixed viewpoint, that would be a belief, and all beliefs seem to be inherently untrue. Right. Well, it, let us say it's a narrow viewpoint. Yes. At least it's missing some data. Yes. At the uh, very least, yes. So, um, this whole point then about right effort, when one takes right effort, the right effort is twofold. One is that we gladden the mind and we start having wholesome thoughts. It takes some effort to have wholesome thoughts. The other one is to start taking wholesome deep breaths so that the mind becomes invigorated and alive, not dull. A lot of meditators will come and say, oh, every time I meditate, my mind gets really dull. Well, yeah, that's what you're going to do when you stop breathing. That's me. That's after 20 minutes, it's just straight into dullness. All right, well, that's because you're not breathing well. Uh, the breath, my breathing almost uh, becomes imperceptible. And I was taught, unfortunately, that that happens when you get deep into meditation, when you're reaching the jhanas, you're, you're breathing. Yeah, but why does anybody want to go deep into meditation? Uh, these are all beliefs. Uh, we probably okay. best without it. <laughs> Do it's you know... Do you know about uh, the story of the Zen stick? The stupid stick? Yeah, the Zen stick. Yeah. The Zen master carries a, uh, a bamboo stick that's got a slit in it so that it makes a real loud racket when it's hit with something, when it hits something. Yes. Okay, and he generally walks around and he hits the shoulder of this or that uh, meditator. Yes. Who gets hit? The mind, the, the one. No, 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 no. My, my question is different than that. Who gets hit means which of these two people that are sitting there is the Zen master going to strike with that Zen stick? The one who perks up just a little bit and knows that the Zen master is right behind him or the one who's off into jhana or in some dull state and he doesn't know the Zen master is even behind him. Or... The, the one that is seems to be unaware. All right, so if you understand that point alone, then you'll understand that we're not going off in the direction of deep to get our jhanas. We're going to go bright to get our jhanas. Yes, understood. We want to be really here now. Yes. Focused, okay. alert, aware, open, with the senses open in the here now. So if the Zen master comes by, we're going to know it. 
Yes. We're going to know he's here before he gets close. Yes. Okay, so this is a, a lot about the waking up into the senses to be here now rather than off into the head someplace. Okay. That this is what, in fact, uh, the hindrances are, is lost in the inner space. The in, when you say inner, inner space, the mind, yes? Mm-hmm. But I'm making a reference to an old television program, Lost in Space. I, I know of the uh, program. I haven't watched it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what happens. We get lost in our own space. And some people will sit down on the floor and do that and call it meditation. Yes. My, my meditation has graduated to open awareness, kind of, where I, I try and do exactly what you said. I sit in open awareness in any forms that appear in my mind are just dropped and they return to open awareness. That's been my, my mm -hmm. base. But I will so, try to breathe now. All right. So the number one thing then we need to work with is getting the mind gladdened up. Okay. To gladden it. To have... Now, a lot of people misunderstand this about what I'm talking about and think that I'm talking about affirmations. Okay. The, these are not affirmations. These are the real things that are going on. Okay. And affirmations are almost always selfish in their nature. Yes. So the young girl is standing in front of the mirror, a uh, teenager about to go to school, and saying, I'm beautiful, and I'm bright, and I'm the happiest girl in school, and everybody loves me, and she doesn't believe any of it. And then she leaves the bathroom and has a miserable day. And those affirmations don't work. But they're also selfish. The kind of things that we're going to say is, wow, I'm glad I don't have to think of that. Or, wow, I see you, Myra, and out you go. Or, my, what a wonderful moment this is. Another one would be, yeah, this is third noble truth. Isn't this great? Okay. These are the so, wholesome thoughts you were mentioning. These are the wholesome thoughts, the thoughts about what's happening right now where affirmations are thoughts about me and how good I am. Uh, yes, I yes, I completely understand. Are you able to contrast that with unwholesome thoughts? Anything that has to do with the past, anything that has to do with harming someone, anything that has to do with the future, anything that keeps you from being joyful right now is an unwholesome thought. Anything that has to do with the past, or the, that's... The past of the future is 99.99% of thoughts. For most people, yes. For me. Okay. So wakey, wakey. Yes. Wake up and be here now. Spend your time in the present moment rather than in the past. You don't need to be in the past. Yes. Okay, here's an example of that. Um, Got to go to the bank. Got to go make a transaction at the bank. But I don't have to go any particular time. We'll say, okay, it'll be convenient to go next week. And I've got all the paperwork. But how many times is the average person between now and next week going to think about, I got to go to the bank, I got to go to the bank, I got to go to the bank? Do I have all my papers? Let me go check them again. Uh, almost every single day, maybe five times a day for no reason at all. No reason at all. But in fact, none of that's going to help you to remember when you're, you actually do decide to go to the bank. 
it, it has it has zero utility to think about it that much. All right. So, so much for thinking about the future. Same. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, so then, so the issue I'm having is I know these things, yet mm -hmm. the bank will still pop up twenty thousand times a day. Yes, and every time it does, and you remember that you're practicing something new, then you can say, aha, I see that bank coming in again. Aha, I, I see, see you. See you, Myra. Yeah, you, Myra, Myra you bank, <laughs> National Bank of Myra. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is, you, you know, you what you're telling me is literally practice changing. And I could not understand how you could say something so simple that would be. And let me tell you why, quickly. The reason is because the way I was doing this is that when a thought would come up, instead of saying, I see you, Mara, I'd be like, yep, there you go. You failed again. You know that this thought is inconsequential. You know it's not helping you, you yet you are letting it destroy you again. But then what you do is say, therefore, it's bad. And because those thoughts keep coming, I'm a bad person. And down the tube you go into bad feeling about it rather than... And that means that you don't come out of hindrance. Exactly. Okay. So that's why what you've told me is literally, like I'm excited to practice this. It almost, it, it almost feels like you've taken a weight off, of having, <laughs> having to beat myself up constantly every single day. I, I don't need to do that. No, make friends with yourself. You don't have to beat yourself up. You're already good enough. You don't have to improve. You're already enlightened, so the Zen folks say. If you could just remember that you are, yeah, I've heard that so many times, and I never understood why people would say that. But well, I, now you do. You already I, are. All you have to do is wake up and say, "Well, I'm glad I'm not enlightened anymore." <laughs> or wait a minute, it's backwards. I'm glad I don't have to think about being enlightened anymore. I already <laughs> was. <laughs> You're good enough, Al. Make friends with yourself as you are. That's awesome. Uh, look, I, I, I think that I'm going to absorb everything you've told me. I'm going to rewatch this. Um, it's extremely important to me. I didn't think the amount of value I've gotten from this, um, I can't explain to you. Thank you so much. Um, All right. Well, when are you going to call back? I will call back uh, next weekend. Uh, I All come right. home late. I work during the week. I come home quite late. Uh, it's dark by the time I come home. So um, I'll call next next weekend. Okay. I'll see you next week. I'll speak to you then. Uh, once again, th uh, thank you. Thank you so okay. much for taking the time. Beware, we've only covered the first three of the Eightfold Noble Path. Oh, yeah. it's this is, <laughs> but, but this is enough to, so far, Get you to, started. Yes, 100%. All right. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much, sir. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>